In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Good News for the City. My name is Brian Bales, and I am the, have the privilege of hosting this show for you, which is the broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, where we remind ourselves of this truth. It's the gospel that makes a way. And by the way, it's the gospel that makes a way, whether it's on radio or whether it happens to be where I preach on Sunday at Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn, Virginia, or whether it is wherever you are right now maybe listening from a cubicle or listening from home. The gospel is what makes the difference in all parts of our life. And in our show today, we have the privilege to welcoming back our guest from last week. And I have to tell you, uh, there's so many times on this show, I'm like, oh, I wish we could have more time. Today is one of those. But I'm pretty sure that even when we finish today, we'll say, I wish we had more time to hear from our guest, Mike Mentor. As I said on the last show, Mike Minter is the pastor emeritus from Reston Bible Church, and he is sharing with us some of the hard-earned wisdom and nuggets that he's gathered of what it looks like after 40 or 50 years of ministry. And if we take these into our life as ministry leaders or as just regular people, they can be transformational. He's recently written a book that's going to come out on November the 8th on Amazon or wherever you buy books called Stay the Course. A Pastor's Guide to Navigating the Restless Waters. And so what we're going to do today is give a little bit, Mike, a a taste from the book and some of the pathways where people can look at to discover thriving life and ministry and and even finishing well. Uh, Of the hundreds of pastors that I know, uh, few, and I mean very few, I believe, have earned the right to speak with such authority and clarity on these issues. So thanks for being back on the show, even after you just did a show last week. So I know it, it must have gone okay that you came back. So thanks for doing that. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, we can go back to the last show to get your bio, but it's really important because sometimes people don't go back to the last show before this one to tell them one of the main reasons why you're qualified to talk on the issues that you're talking about is that for 48 years, you faithfully served as the founding pastor and the only lead teaching pastor at Reston Bible Church in Reston, Virginia. And God used you from starting in a Bible study in 1974 in your home and even shining shoes at the local country club, which became the people who were your first congregation to eventually God blessed you. And we mentioned this last time. It's not about numbers, but ultimately God chose to use you to, to lead a church of 24, 2,500 people on a consistent basis. And just recently, you have redeployed now down to Nashville, Tennessee, to be closer to some parts of your family. And that's where you join us today to talk about these challenges that pastors have in staying the course. So, again, you know, we're going to talk about that. So let's talk. You good with that? I'm good with it. All right. Well, so last time you talked about some of the stories of the ups and downs that God used to shape and prepare you. Uh, Now, I kind of just want to break the book down 
again, because I believe as someone who's read this book and I sent you a text uh, and you can, you can say this is true. I sent you a text when I finished the book that said, I finished the book. I cried. Thank you. That's how it spoke to me as a leader and a pastor. And I'm convinced it will speak to so many because in it, you, you discuss this, the struggle and the challenges that so many people who are in ministry deal with. And in lots of ways, this book is a handbook for wisdom of thriving in life and, and thriving in ministry. And so you have some very specific things that I think anyone who maybe have had your position or my position or any leadership position, they'll know a lot of this stuff, even if it's not specifically ministerially, but there's something unique about being in ministry and leading. You talk about family shepherding in this book. You talk about the challenges of pride and how easy it is for pastoral leaders specifically to become hypocritical. You talk about the, the idea of doctrinal division and what it means to be humble about we know what we know. You talk about criticism and discouragement. You talk about what it's like to deal with different types of people. Mike, people are different. Go figure, right? And if anything, the last many, many months have taught us that situations are different. And then, of course, you also talk about what it looks like to finish well, because we know so many people uh, in leadership, specifically ministerial leadership, that that's not happening. And so that's really what a lot of after you give us your life history, some of the reasons why you have in part one, the authority and the platform to speak on what you're talking about in part two of the book, right? That's what you're diving into. So we talked about this off the show before we got on to say, hey, we're just going to kind of go where God wants us to go on some of these subjects. So of those subjects I just mentioned, Mike, talk about some things today that you would just like to expose to our listeners uh, via the radio that maybe uh, that then they'll dive a little bit further in and grab the book. Sure. I think uh, we can start with the family shepherding. I was never one to have uh, daily devotionals and all that. I, I tried that way, way back. A lot of people are successful at it. My kids all started fighting. So I said, I'm not doing this again. They're going to hate the mm -hmm. Bible. So I decided what I would do is Deuteronomy 6 talks about as you walk by the way, you lie down, rise up. I said, I'm just going to sort of incorporate it daily as we're just kind of mm -hmm. going around. And I've got four kids, um, 47, 45, 41, 38. Now, you shouldn't tell them which ones are girls and which ones are boys. Oh, three, order, three you just, top ones are girls. You just gave their ages away, Mike. When they hear this, you may get a phone call. They're not going to care, and they need it anyway. They, they yeah. need to be a little kicked around. <laughs> so they're all, they're all great. They all love the Lord. And I think a lot of that was due to my wife's prayers. And I think one thing that happens, I think, so often in a pastor's home, if a child hears their father preach, and sees their father living differently than they're preaching. They, they're not, not going to expect perfection. But if they see something that's very, very different, they're going to think this thing is, is a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah. And you've really got to be, I hate to use the word on your game in the sense of, of trying to pretend, you've got to really believe it and you've got to live it. You're, mm -hmm. and, and when you don't live it, you need to look your wife and your kids in the eye and say, I acted like a fool today. I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? Not just I apologize and walk away. A real genuine looking in the eye and asking forgiveness. I've, that has been so helpful to me because it keeps your children from holding grudges, uh, just getting things out of the way. So I think the family is really huge. Um, no no pastor is going to have a perfect family. But 
he certainly, as a matter of fact, I've often said this, I'm not responsible and you're not responsible for how your children turn out. You're responsible to train them in the ways of the Lord and how they turn out. That's their moral responsibility. So let's talk about that because I think a lot of pastors who are hearing this feel some freedom from that statement. A lot of people who aren't necessarily pastors or in ministry misunderstand, you know, that proverb, right? It says train up right. the child in the way you should go. And then when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And so I've had people come and talk to me as sure as I've had you as a parent that said, I must have done something wrong because my kid's not doing something. Right. We might have, but that's not exactly what a proverb is, yeah. correct? Exactly. A proverb is just a general truth. Um, uh, a soft answer does not always turn away wrath. Mm-hmm. All right. Proverbs 15, one. So the same is true there. As a matter of fact, Proverbs says, if you'll do this, this will happen. Ecclesiastes says, I tried that and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty amazing when a lot of the person who penned a lot of the Proverbs through the power of the Holy Spirit was a lot of the same person who, who penned yes. Ecclesiastes, right? It's the messiness of life. So we can't claim those things. But what we are to do is to be able to put our head in the pillow at night and say, I've done, I have a clear conscience before God and men, which is what Paul said was one of his supreme desires. And to know that you did all you could to train your children and raise them up in the nurture and the admission of the Lord. How they turn out, they are morally responsible agents. And the world's going to be pulling at them. College is going to be pulling at them. But you just need to know that you have instilled everything that you could to the best of your knowledge and ability into their lives. The rest is up to, up to God. You know, yeah. he'll, he'll deal with it. And if you have a family, God has blessed you with one and you're in ministry, I really encourage you to, to look at that chapter. I remember when I read the chapter, I, I felt free, Mike, that I wasn't the only one as a pastor who felt like I'd failed at family devotions because, you know, you'll have other friends are like, oh, yeah, we sit down. It's 15 minutes or 20 minutes. It looks like this. And either from my ADD sometimes or just from the way my children are wired, right? it didn't work that way. But when I I listened to the integration aspect of that. I was like, oh, we do that. We do that, you know, and there's some some freedom in that and really understanding that. But you you hit on something that's actually another one of the sections of your book when you talk about kids smelling hypocrisy, right? There, I am both a, a son of a pastor and now a pastor. So I've, I've sat in both seats, so to speak. Oh. And certainly the hypocrisy meter of children whose family members are in ministry, they, they it's really high. They smell it. They want to make sure. And as we look out into the general state, right, and I don't think the Internet is, is a great place to figure the general state because the stuff that's on the Internet about pastors and leaders, they tend to be the stuff that gets clicks, right? Let's find the worst case scenarios all the time. But there are significant stuff out there of pastors struggling with hypocrisy and pastors struggling with pride. I, I once had a mentor say this to me, and um, it's kind of stuck with me. He said, Brian. You're never as good as people say you are, and you're never as bad as people say you are. You are who God says you are. And it was this sort of moment for him sort of protecting around this idea of pride or other things that I think pastors need to be aware of. Talk about the unique challenge of pride and hypocrisy for a leader. Yeah, um, I think we one thing, most people know what pride is. It's just the exaltation of self, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, I'm not sure, know what hypocrisy is. If I get up in the pulpit and I preach on Romans 13, obey the laws of the land, and then I get in my car and I'm racing to get home because I know that Kay's got a 
meal, we're having somebody over, and I'm speeding, and I get pulled over by a police officer. And somebody in our church passes me and says, that's Mike Minter. He just preached, um, paying, and now he's getting pulled over. What a hypocrite. Not necessarily. I simply was overtaken in temptation. Mm-hmm. That's not the same thing as hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you're getting up there and telling people you ought to obey the laws of the land, then you say, I cannot wait to get on that long strip where there are no cops and just let this baby rip. Mm-hmm. You know, when you really don't believe what you're saying. But all of us are hypocrites only to some degree. No one has ever lived up to what they claim they believe. Yeah. Atheist, agnostic, religion. So we have to be very careful. But see, the world does look at us, and that's the number one uh, attack against the church is it's filled with hypocrites. Yeah. I used to tell our people, invite your friends. There's always room for one more. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, uh, you tell them the story about getting pulled over. And uh, several years back, I was running late to be at church for a large baptismal service. And I got stuck at a light that you would be familiar with at Waxpool and Loudoun County Parkway for three <laughs> cycles. And I was going to be late. And I ran what was clearly turning a red light and I got pulled over and the policeman pulls me over and he said, so what were you in such a hurry to get to? And I was in visual view of the church when he pulled me over. And I said, this is the most hypocritical or seemingly embarrassing moment. See that place? I'm the pastor there. I'm supposed to not be doing what I just did, but I was running late and I felt like I have to tell you, it was a, it was a humbling moment, uh, to say the least. But I love that differentiation. You know, we get pride, we get hypocrisy. Now, one of the things that I know, you mentioned in this book, but I know personally from spending time with you, is this. Is that you have a very clear understanding of Scripture, of how you believe this is how it applies. You're, you're not... You're not, even though you give yourself, in, it's especially in the last talk that we had together, you talk about, hey, I'm not, you know, R.C. Sproul, or I'm not one of these big heavyweights, but you have a very clear, articulated, very passionate theology. But what you also have, and sort of basically tying this idea of pride together with also something else that you talk about, doctrinal division and humility, you have a humility around some things that many times as pastors, we lack that keeps us from working together. We feel like we've arrived. We know everything. And I'm not talking about the essentials like salvation by grace, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God in the flesh. I'm not talking about those things. And you mentioned those things in your book. I'm talking about a whole lot of other things that can get in the way that you mentioned. Get into that a little bit for some of our listeners. Uh, This would be really interesting because we have people from what I would like to say, the span of theological spectrum that listen to the show. Yeah. Uh, this is certainly a very touchy issue because as soon as if I mention something, they'll go, well, that is important to me. I think that's it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think what has happened, if you go back and you read through the book of Acts. How much do you read about penal substitutionary atonement? You know, what you see in the book of Acts is Jesus. Well, when, when Paul, when uh, Peter comes to Cornelius's house and he explains the gospel, it couldn't be any simpler Christ came, died, was buried, rose again to pay the penalty for our sin. Those that believe are given eternal life. Just a simple message. But through the years, we've learned more and more, and we've started what I call having our little swim lanes, our little mm-hmm. doctrinal swim lanes. I'm Arminian. I'm Calvinist. I'm Pentecostal. I'm you know charismatic. I'm myst- mystical or whatever you want to call it. And what we do is rather than learning from the other swim lanes, 
we judge the other swim lanes. Our swim lane has the purest water. Mm. Now, all the other swim lanes, well, they might make it to the other side, but it's, a, it's still a little bit, um, a little polluted. The truth of the matter is the swim lane next to you may have a theological answer to a conundrum that your swim lane can't answer and vice versa. So I've kind of gone under the ropes the last 25 or 30 years and swum around with all kinds of people that hold to the basics, but just have different views on things. And my concern is that we start judging churches that don't see things the way we do, rather than allowing that church to be fully persuaded in its own mind as to how it's going to do things. Baptism, a role of women and all those things. And so often I just simply ask the question, if I don't believe what you believe, what difference does it make? Can I not hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Mm. If I can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and don't believe that you believe, then it obviously means it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. That's a huge question to ask ourselves. Yeah. Well, you know, the title of your book is called A Pastor's Guide to Navigate, the subtitle rather, Stay the Course is the main title. The subtitle is A Pastor's Guide to Navigating the Restless Waters of Ministry. You joked with me a moment ago before we got on air that maybe you should have called it Navigating the Turbulent Waters of Ministry. And, And even now, like some of the things that you're saying, you know, there are some people that are going to receive that in a way that's going to create some turbulence. Which, by the way, brings us to one of the other things that you deal with uh, in this book, that anybody who's breathed and ever tried to lead, and that's not just talking the church atmosphere, it's talking in any atmosphere, um, deals with. And that's criticism and discouragement. I, I remember talking to uh, someone who, who was, and I said, well, I'm going to get an email or two where people aren't happy about this. And they looked at me like I had a third eyeball and said, you mean people in church send negative emails? I didn't think that happened. And I said, well, people in church struggle by the grace of God, just like we all do. The point is, you know, if there's one more hypocrite that you mentioned earlier on, but I think especially uh, this is powerful when uh, a leader is on the end of just what seems as if a bombardment of criticism that is unhealthy, a bombardment of criticism that's not rooted in much truth, a bombardment of criticism that's rooted in perspectives that people have that aren't necessarily biblical, they're abiblical. You chose this music, you did this, you did all of it. There's a whole list of them. You know them, you've been there, you've fought them, you've got the scars, but also the encouragement for people. Talk about that particular struggle, if you could. Yeah. When I first started out uh, many years ago, people, if they wanted to criticize me, they would send me these email. I'm not, they didn't have emails. They would send me these big envelopes with mm-hmm. 12 stamps across the top because it was so heavy. They have written confidential pastor and they put it in my little hole. So I would get that. And I, I knew it wasn't a thank you note. I'm not that good. Yeah. So I'd open this thing up and it would usually start something like, uh, dear Mike, though we've really enjoyed you through the years. And I knew it was coming. Yeah. However, recently you've lost your ability. There have been times when I've called people in and said, I appreciate the, the criticism. I I, I think you wrote this, you know, out of your heart. I'm not here to debate it, but I am going to ask you something. Have I ever blessed you at all? Well, yeah. How come I never got a note on that one? Mm. Where, was, where was the thank you note? Where was the, the nice note on that one? Why a 12-page summary of my failures? And my point is, I just don't want you to go to the next church and do the same thing to them. Yeah. I, just, I want them to learn from the situation mm-hmm. without without you know, being defensive. But handling criticism is 
as I said, in the last year, part of the part of the job description, you're going to get criticized. There's just no way you can lead. Look at the COVID situation. Oh, my. I remember standing up and telling our people, um, please stop saying that science says science says six feet. No, science says nine feet. Science says wear a mask. No, science says masks don't work. I said, that's not science. Science is observable, reproducible, measurable, and none of that is true in this thing we're in. This is a river we've never been on, and everybody's going to have a different opinion based on the data they're getting from the places they're reading, just trying to calm people down so that when they're going to criticize, they really understand where they're coming from and they've got Mm -hmm. their facts, and to do so humbly and kindly. I remember us talking about that one time when we were in a lot of the same situations. She says, science is one thing, but right now we're hearing from scientists, right. which is different. But again, you know, going into maybe one of the other subjects that uh, we have a couple moments to talk about is depending upon the person that you're engaging this subject with, many times it has differing outcomes. And so one of the challenges is dealing with different types of people and situations. COVID is it's not reproducible. That was an unbelievable different. But there's still, even COVID aside, there's still many other different people and challenges, right? Right. Uh, if you know the person fairly well, like, for example, if you're sitting on an elder board, elder team uh, or leadership team, you pretty much know that if this is thrown on the table, Joe is going to say this and Fred's going to say this. You just sort of know because you've, you've been around the block enough right. of those people. But there are times when people make an appointment with you that you don't know their personality. And, but you can assess it pretty quickly by the way they're phrasing things. They're, they can be in an attack mode. Hey, Brian, uh, how could you have ever said such like this rather than, hey, Brian, last week you said this. I'm just curious, what did you mean by that? Mm-hmm. There are people that come softly. They really want to know. There are people coming in attack mode. And you have to sort of know very early on in the game who you're dealing with and how to deflect some of that, how to deal with it. Yeah, and I love some of the things you talk in your book about helps that. And I think, you know, when I was reading it, there was a couple of key phrases that came to mind that I know over the years, you mentioned, like, if you got the big manila envelope, yeah. you know, that was a sign. There's a few times where uh, someone says, Pastor, I'd like to chat with you. That's usually code, right? Or <laughs> if someone says, Pastor, I'd just like to share my heart with you. And they've not shared their heart with me in a very long time. You know, over the years, you learn that. And I think every ministry leader, they, they know and sense that. But in many ways, you being able to walk through this and having the wisdom that God has given you and applying life is really what helped you end and finish well. And I encourage people to pick up the book again. It's Stay the Course, A Pastor's Guide to Navigating the Restless Waters of Ministry. It's available November 8th on Amazon and wherever you get books. But the last thing that you do in your book, and I just want to take a minute, if you could, before we go, is reflect on deepest pleasures that how God has given you these things to sustain so that some other people can begin to reflect on theirs as well. Uh, the deepest pleasures are, are, are like one of them for me was my brother going to Papua New Guinea. I mm-hmm. led my brother, Lord, about 40 years ago. He sat in our church for years, retired from the Navy. We had a, a, a missionary speaker and my brother and his wife turned to each other and they leave and they go to Papua New Guinea and reach a tribal group that's never been reached the gospel. And now he lives 15 minutes. Me, we're both here in Nashville. Yeah. I don't know how you put all that together. I just oh don't know how you put it together, but that's one of the what I call holy pleasures. Yeah, it helped me finish think, well. And I think as we take a moment, wherever we are as ministry leaders, pastors, to reflect on that, there are already those whether you're two and a half months in 
or your two and a half years or 25 or 50. And Mike, just thank you for taking the time today to be on the show to encourage our listeners. Thank you for taking the time to write down your experiences and your thoughts through this book, Stay the Course, A Pastor's Guide to Navigating the Restless Waters of Ministry. I've mentioned it several times. I'll I'll continue on my personal life and I meet people to encourage them to, to read it. It's out November 8th on Amazon. It is a goldmine of wisdom uh, that you allow us to engage. Uh, I actually had a chance to, to write something for it. And one of the things I said, it's all the wisdom that I got from sitting across the table from Mike Mentor and all our meetings over the years, but you don't have to consume the carbs. So if you're cutting back on the carbs, this is a great book to pick up and to read it. It does that. And thank you, Mike. And, and I encourage you to pass this along to friends or people that you know in ministry that need encouragement. It will definitely encourage me. If you'd like to connect with Mike specifically, you can always reach out to him. His email is Pastor Minta, Pastor M-I-N-T-A at gmail.com. Uh, and I'm sure he will engage you in the way that he engages everybody. That is with the grace and the kindness that God has given him to live out to encourage others to live out how God has made them. And of course, if you have a question or comment, you can reach out to us at WAVA to comment at WAVA.com. Or if you'd like to talk to someone in person, you can call me at Christian Fellowship Church in Nashburn. I can be reached at 703-729-3900. Mike, I miss you, man. But thanks for taking the time today. And thank you for reminding me, our audience, and so many pastors and leaders over the year about where the power really comes from. And that's Jesus Christ and the truth that it's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.